0: is the light. Out of the
1: shadows of my life. Welcome once again to the So Weird Podcast. I'm Zach.
2: I'm Emily. I am Melissa.
3: And I'm Jimmy.
1: And tonight we are talking about season three, episode 10, or well, 9 in air order, 10 in production order, which is Carnival. What is this week's spooky mystery and or event?
2: Uh, Mirrors.
1: Well, I mean, I think generally this is the series take on the spooky, sinister carnival slash circus trope, which you see in uh, lots of times in horror. I think every paranormal, supernatural show has probably done some variation on this theme.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. But it was interesting, the intro you know, like Melissa said, does focus mainly on mirrors, and mirrors are definitely like a big subject in the episode. And the intro starts out with mirrors, a gateway to another world, and mirrors can be confusing. You're seeing a reverse image of what you really look like, and it can also take something confusing and make it clear. And some people talk to their reflection, and that's okay, as long as your reflection doesn't talk back. Yeah,
1: and then it does that super cheesy thing where Annie's reflection turns to the camera and talks. And I, I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like that is just the corniest <laughs> shit ever.
2: Yeah, and, and as side note, the opening sequence uh, Annie doing her makeup in front of the mirror actually reminds me of the first part of the opening sequence of *Crash* where he is doing her makeup and uh, flaunting around for the mirror. I
3: was yeah,
4: same thing. Yeah.
3: It was like a callback to that. She has
1: like a uh, pig tails on that makes her look way, way younger than she already is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this one, the tour, the, the Phillips tour bus comes to a spooky carnival. Do they ever actually give a name for the carnival? Does this have, a...
4: I think it does, but I forget. It's <laughs> Arby's wonder show carnival, I think.
1: Okay. Okay. And um, Molly talks, Annie. I I have to keep catching myself. I keep wanting to say Fiona. Molly talks (laughs) Annie into singing on stage. She has a big song number. But meanwhile, of course, this being a Canadian shot genre television show made in the late 90s, um, of course, there are some sinister goings-ons around the carnival. The owner is some sort of bad dude we don't really get a definition on what exactly he is he has his reflection can talk to him in mirrors and it seems to me as if there's some sort of otherworldly entity speaking to him through the mirrors that's forcing him to do these things for reasons that are not expounded on whenever there's like a spooky freak show it's not uncommon for like normal people to be mutated into part of the freaky creepy freak show, though because this is a Disney Channel show, the mutations and talents and such are pretty mild, I think. Nothing too uh deranged or weird. We don't have anybody being turned into a bearded lady or, you know, a, a walking torso or anything like that. Yeah. So general yes. thoughts on this one. I guess I, I've already kind of said that I'm not a super big fan of this episode, but what do you guys think?
2: I honestly don't really like it that much. <laughs> Annie's performance is the one thing that saves it for me, to be honest.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't like it. Um, I don't like Annie's performance. So there's not much that saves it for me at all. Um, There's not a lot of humor. It's too confusing for me. Yeah, so.
1: I mean, not confusing, just badly written. Things happen for no reason.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I guess the whole thing with Mr. Arby... And his mirrors, I didn't totally understand what was going on there. I mean, it made sense later on with Annie and the mirrors. But him talking to himself in the mirror, I just was like, what, what's going on there? And he like kept changing his outfits in person. And then the guy in the mirror kept changing outfits. I was like, what's happening? Yeah, is
1: there supposed to be some implication that him and his reflection are switching place somehow? Like, Is there like a dual personality thing going on here?
4: Maybe. I don't know. I I kind
3: of liked it. Like I felt like the carnival, you know, they mentioned several times that the carnival is hungry or like that the mirrors are hungry. And so he kept having to like find different or what does he say in the beginning? He says new blood. He had to find fresh blood. And so the carnival was hungry and it, he needed to keep finding different individuals to become Attractions in order to keep people interested. I don't know. I kind of thought a little bit about like American Horror Story freak show And that whole concept was that the carnival was dying out that like people aren't interested in this type of entertainment anymore And so I think that was kind of his shtick was that he had to keep finding new attractions for people to be interested And then of course the carnival could feed the more people he could get coming to the carnival
1: Well, you see, that's a really interesting idea. This whole concept of the carnival, some sort of eldritch location that needs to, uh, you know, when people are going to it, it's literally keeping something alive. Like that would have been a cool angle for this episode to explore more. But Jimmy, everything you said, which is really interesting, is like sub, sub, subtext in this
3: episode. (laughs) I'm really good at subtext. I'm very good at that. I'm like reading between the lines, between the lines, between the lines. We know that he's been keeping you know some people hostage already with the girl Haley and he's kind of keeping her holding her hostage because he has her brother Hector hostage you know we know that he's been doing this and then when he keeps looking around like he wants to find a new attraction and when he hears Molly and the gang And he realizes, like, oh, these are interesting people. And then once he hears Annie sing, then he instantly, like, wants her to be the attraction for the show.
1: Yeah, the thing with that, uh, the girl's brother, Hector, you know, he's turned into a living rock creature, which, I mean, from what I'm thinking, I wouldn't think that would be a very good attraction because it's stationary. It doesn't do anything. You know, I wouldn't think that would be very interesting. Now, of course, carnivals are like, rip-offs, usually. You know, you pay your five bucks to see something, and it's incredibly disappointing. That is the way of it. Uh, I just thought that was a bizarre... Out of all the things they could have done, they turned him into the mountain guy from The NeverEnding Story,
3: basically. But it was up to the mirrors. Like, whatever he saw himself as in the mirror, I guess that's what he became? I don't know.
1: And if it was playing on that, the sense that the mirror shows the people something that's inside of them. It does that a little bit with, uh... The- Harry? Yeah, Carrie, uh,
3: that's right. right.
1: Uh, it, it does that a little bit with him, where he becomes this wild man in a cage, which is you know a reoccurring trope in the carnival idea. But um, the others are like Ned turns into a little. I think the whole thing they're going with is kind of a Tom Thumb, small person. I believe would be the modern word for that attraction. You know, a dwarf. But they just shrink him down little, like he's like literally shrunk down to the size of like a doll or something. And you know, of the of the transformations our cast undergoes. I think the only one that's really freaky or unnerving in any way is Molly becoming like a living candle woman, which how the hell is that supposed to work? Like the whole idea, like as we've established, apparently as far as we can tell the villains modus operandi is to keep people coming into the carnival. But if a melting candle woman is only good for one show, I don't see how that's going to keep bringing people back in, unless at the end of the show, they're going to mop Molly back up and squeeze her into a mold and reform her.
3: Yeah. Which I do think he says, like, one time only. Right. Um, Yeah, maybe that's why the carnival has to keep feeding, because you never know what creature is going to pop out, or, like, you know, obviously her act would be a one-time only act.
4: Maybe it would have been more sinister to me if we had heard about previous acts getting, you know, someone dying or disappearing or whatever, once they've been fed by the carnival. But they don't really talk about that. I feel like
2: it's insinuated that would be her death, basically, if Annie didn't save the day on time.
1: Right, and it, it's a bad way to go. I mean, like, you see her standing around the flames and, like, wax is dripping off of her chin. Like, that's a pretty grody way to to <laughs> get knocked off, but... um i agree you know i think what emily said is would have been better if they had actually hinted that oh if this happened before you know people are disappearing at the carnival but it's just like i said the episode is not well written you guys (laughs) yeah
2: i think that's my problem with it too
1: the thing that gets me though is this was written by brian nelson who has done some has written some pretty good episodes of this show siren and strange like and okay wrote troll too but um He would go on to write movies like Hard Candy, which is one of my favorite films. Great, great movie. And 30 Days of Night, which, say what you will about it, is at least like a serious horror film. And I just feel like this is just such corny, kitty bullshit. Like, it feels like a bad episode of Goosebumps, almost. (laughs) And, you know, in season one and two, when they did spooky episodes, like when they made an episode that was really trying to scare the viewer, it didn't always work. Uh, But it usually treated it seriously. Like, it actually went for it. And we did get some moments in season one and two that actually are pretty spooky, especially for, like, a Disney Channel show. And this just feels like... There are ideas that are potentially creepy, but they have to like back away from them because like, oh, this is Disney said we can't make it dark, so we got to, you know, we have to make it goofy. And it's, it bugs me, man. You know, I, I hate it when kids entertainment doesn't treat the audience seriously. I guess it just bugs me.
3: I definitely feel similar. It does come off a little bit goofy. I did think that one of the creepy moments was the Jack character when he was playing Swami. Hmm. I definitely felt like that character was really creepy
2: yeah same it's uh like one of the parts only one of the parts that i actually like
3: although you could see like his really bad makeup and you could see like the gauze underneath his eyebrows like they really kind of did a bad makeup job or maybe they shouldn't have done so many close-ups
1: the thing that sinks that scene for me is just uh patrick's performance in that moment is again super super goofy and it's obtensely a moment that's supposed to be serious and sort of scary, but he's playing it for comedy and there's a disconnect there. And I enjoy watching Annie be snarky with Jack of you know, all of that. Like, oh your your sarcasm will cause people to be annoyed by you or whatever it is he said. Like, okay, haha, that's fun. But uh, as a individual moment, I just again it just makes me roll my eyes. This whole episode does. makes my eyes roll so hard they almost <laughs> pop out of my head. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I did like that she was kind of, like, skeptical of Swami, Arcana, and she kept saying, like, Jack, I know it's you, like, really, if you could tell me something, and then I thought it was funny how he's like, you're gonna travel some, you're gonna work some, you're gonna have good times and bad times and lots of in-between times, and she's like, gee, you think? Like, tell me something that doesn't apply to every single person in the whole world. And then she says, tell me something supernatural, tell me something mystical. And he says, like, gaze into the crystal ball and tell me what you see. And then, of course, she sees the trick mirrors. And that's when he tells her, like, beware of the looking glass. Mirrors are cursed. And then she says, well, yeah, if you break one, that's seven years bad luck. And Swami says that that's only if it's a good mirror. Some mirrors twist the image of those that look within and some mirrors are hungry. That was that whole like that it's the mirrors that are hungry. So I think like the mirrors of the carnivore what is like the supernatural aspect of the episode is just simply the mirrors. Yeah. And
1: again, if they had explored that more, like some sort of otherworldly entity living inside the mirrors that needs to feed off of people's life force or whatever, that would have been cool, but they don't. It's just yeah. there. You just kind of have to fill in those blanks yourself.
3: Yeah, and even after Annie destroys the mirrors, the entity is still alive because Swami still talk, or not Swami, but um, Arby, Arby, he still talks to his reflection at the very end of the episode. So it's like, what was going on, you know, what was the entity? Was it the mirrors? Is it Arby? What is it feeling this carnival feeding on people?
2: Maybe it was Arby's mirror.
4: Yeah.
3: Oh his handheld? It- but he sees this reflection in different mirrors, right? Like the first yeah. time it was like a mirror hang hanging like at a stand. I did like the little Rick throwback. Did you guys catch that? Yeah, that was a good moment. Uh- It was a sweet moment because Tom J. Astle, of course, is a writer on the episode. So of course, anytime he's a writer on the episode, we're going to have a callback to season one and two at some point. And I did like that moment before Annie goes on stage where Molly tells her something that Rick told her. The whole
2: lead up to Annie's performance seemed a little bit played up, but I did like it.
4: Yeah, I thought Molly's advice for Annie was really sweet about what she heard Rick say. I think she said he's told her an audience is like a giant mirror reflecting back what you have to give and what you have to give is beautiful. I thought
1: that was sweet. You know, anytime season three actually acknowledges something from season one or two, that's nice because it doesn't do it that often. So.
3: Mm -hmm. We have to appreciate it where it comes and me like kind of growing up with this show. Like, I don't know. I've kind of had this weird connection to the show. That's like totally unexplainable and ridiculous. But, um, Going into, like, job interviews and stuff, like, just being, you know, a teenager or a young adult, I've definitely thought back on this episode, and it's, like, helped me have, like, certain amounts of confidence when I'm, like, going into a job interview. I would reflect, like, on Molly's words where she's, like, don't be afraid to take a chance and give it all you've got. That has really helped me in my life, like, to do certain things that I was scared to do. So I really appreciate, like, the Molly Annie aspect of this
1: episode that's great that a work of fiction has had such a powerful effect on you like that i wish it was from an overall <laughs> better episode <Yes. laughs>
3: right it's ridiculous
1: yeah <laughs> no but i mean it's, it's great though i mean like you never know that's the thing you never really know what's going to reach in and touch you in that way right yeah it, though though i'll I, I have to be negative nancy here and say like it does sometimes feel a little bit like Molly saying like oh you're beautiful you're great you're so talented annie is sort of like once again season three signal, like hey guys annie's great everybody loves annie you know isn't she good don't you guys love this character huh huh fee who's (laughs) fee you know um yeah i don't know i felt like it was
4: really genuine i felt like molly was being really genuine in that moment i thought it was it was sweet
3: the whole backstory of these characters like it's like you know we're invested in the molly character So, like, hearing her kind of reflect on something Rick told her to kind of help Annie go on stage, I I just really connected to it. I thought it was really beautiful. And the fact that Alex Johnson did actually co-write this song, it was, like, one of her very first songs that ever was released to the public or to her fans that she actually wrote. I thought it was such a beautiful song. I didn't really feel like it had anything to do with the episode or the show. But um, it was a pretty song, and I thought her vocals were really pretty. Although we've never had an official release of the song, and never had a, a leak of the actual studio version. All we have is the episode version.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask if there was a studio release of this. Though, uh, from what I recall, there isn't too much ambient noise or dialogue over the song, so if you do want to just rip the audio straight from the episode, you're, you're doing okay. Like, you can at least hear it we clearly. Have, I know it's yeah. not HD audio or
3: anything, but... That's what we do. That's what us <laughs> Alex fans have done is rip it out of the episode, which I think there was like a demo, right, Melissa? Like, didn't we get um, a little demo of this?
2: I don't think so.
3: Yeah, I don't I think so. we had a demo of it.
1: Though you're no. going to have to, What what is the name of the song? You know, I, I watched this episode 15 minutes ago, and I've already completely forgotten everything about it. Well, what is the name of the song she sings?
4: Dream About You. Right, okay. Yeah, uh, this song was promoed heavily.
1: Do you yeah. all remember
4: that? I mean, it was on all the time throughout season three as a commercial. So I actually kind of resented this song, <laughs> which is funny because, like, listening to it now, it's not a song I would listen to now, but I could see myself really enjoying this song at that age. But I think part of the reason I just kind of hated it was because it was so different from everything we'd heard before. And unlike a lot of the other songs from the earlier seasons, it just didn't really have anything to do with the show. And it was the song they were promoting from the show over and over and over again. So yeah, I kind of hated it just for that reason.
1: (laughs) It's, you know, like just a further reflection of how season three Disney was really trying to do this thing or like, oh, well, let's make a big bubblegum pop star out of Alex Johnson and have that buoy the show. And in return, the show buoy her career. I mean, I guess the song's not bad as far as this genre goes. But uh, yeah, I agree with Emily. It's not a thing I would listen to under any other context.
3: Probably not. Sorry. And it spawned like a bit of a rumor during that time period um, when this song came out. I guess fans online kept thinking that Alex had done like a song called Come On Boy or that she had done a music video called Come On Boy. I just have to talk about this, because I think a lot of older fans would remember that rumour. But she actually had to come out publicly to her fans and say, like, no, I did not record a song called Come On Boy. I think that rumour was spawned off of this episode, because this song is a little bit cheeky, a little bit sexual. You know, just in the way of her, like, singing to a boy, whereas previously she hadn't really done that before as far as the show is concerned. There hasn't really been a song that was edged toward girl-boy romance. Uh, totally. I've,
2: I've, never, <laughs> I've never heard about this
4: before. That's interesting.
2: I can show
3: you, like, some screen caps uh, from the year 2000, which I have of them, uh, off of, like, Yahoo groups, And where they actually reached out to her and she came out publicly and there's actually an audio recording of her telling her fans that she never did a song called Come On Boy, which I have that as well. Melissa, I could show you that.
1: I I didn't realize there was such deep lore in the Alex Johnson (laughs) fan community that you have 18-year-old fan caps,
3: you know. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, but she's has like a, a pretty big fan base since this show and a lot of her fans from this show followed her career till now. And um, yeah, there were a lot of haters and a lot of fans and people thought she did a really sexual song from this song and um, mm-hmm. she had to come out publicly and say that she didn't do it. So just wanted to mention that for people who get it.
4: Wow, what a rumor.
3: I want to talk a little bit about just mention
1: this, you know, the guy who plays uh, Jonas Arby, which is a weird name, um, but that's Duncan Frazier, who is an actor who's had bit parts and all sorts of stuff. I mean, looking at his IMDb, he was in Watchers, The Fly 2, The Reflecting Skin, Omen 4, uh, Needful Things, and then lots of television, Ernest Goes to School, Time Cop, you know, all (laughs) sorts of tons of stuff I've seen, and you look at the parts he plays in these movies, it's like doctor, coach, teacher, you know, it's very minor background stuff, and it's sort of neat that the show gave an actor who probably mostly did minor background roles in low-budget movies a chance to actually have a regular on screen major performance, which is a shame because like this character is so annoying. And apparently this guy is British. He, According to IMDb, he was born in Greater Manchester, England. But so I guess that ridiculous voice he's doing, it sounds so silly because it's like it's not uh, his regular accent. You know, it's like they hammer that note every single time. It's like, oh, this guy's evil. He's creepy. He's a he's a bad dude doing bad things. And like within the first two minutes of meeting this character, you get that. Oh yeah, this is the this is our bad guy of the week.
3: Yeah, he's yeah. got a really squirrely voice, and he plays also in Eight Below, which Belinda Metz is like a lead character in Eight Below. Oh,
2: yeah, it's actually, it actually was really bugging me because every time I watch this episode, I uh, feel like I've know I know him from something. I've seen that face. I've heard that voice. I just can't place it. Then I was looking at his amdb and i have not seen anything other than the show that he's been on maybe that character in this episode made more of an impression on me as a kid as i thought it did
1: come on melissa you gotta see time cop it's a classic anyway
3: (laughs) the exorcism of emily rose was pretty freaky
1: uh, I didn't like that movie that much but uh <laughs> I, liked it. I liked it there was like a PG13 exorcist, man come on give me the real thing um, yeah, yeah really yeah so anyways uh, just it, it's on one hand i think it's great that they gave an actor who mostly does small roles and little things and gave him a main role in this episode and i just wish his character wasn't so annoying cuz i'm sure the problem's not with him it's just the script is a mess i think they okay. got to
4: give him that accent to make him Seem really bad,
1: sinister, yeah, yeah, creepy accent. So, someone I want to talk about here is Belinda Metz, uh, you know Irene as the coal hot, cold dancer. That was a weird moment, right? The hell is that about?
4: <laughs> I like it. What?
2: Danielle the
3: flame dancer? <laughs> yeah, she was a dancer.
4: That's true. So she's showing off her talent. I like it. It's weird, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same.
3: The character was Danielle the flame dancer.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of that trope of just the regular characters on the show we're used to seeing being mutated or changed into something else. Like I said, I just wish the episode committed to, like, actually trying to be a little weirder and a little creepier than it was. And I also wish the script made more sense. I guess those are my main uh, main problems with this episode.
3: I thought it was funny when uh, she's in there and she sees Danielle walking on hot poles, and then she, like, realizes that Ned is you know, his little area is off to the side. So she runs over and she shoves those people out of the way. (laughs) I thought that was really funny. And um, I also thought a really scary part was um, Jack's character, Swami, when he looks all like sinister, and then you see like the crystal ball catch on fire, and then it kind of breaks. I thought that was a really creepy part, just like his face was really creepy. Yeah.
4: Yeah, he's kind of chuckling evilly.
3: And the part that Annie realizes that it is the mirrors that are causing the problem is when she comes back out of the funhouse and she finds the broken crystal ball and then she hears Haley screaming for help. Which I thought it was really stupid that Arby put Haley into a cage, but really she's in a cage that is just in a tent. So all she really has to do is scream for help and, like, anybody walking by could hear her yelling. And, of course, ironically, it's Annie. And then Annie gets the keys and lets her out. And Annie says, "Um, how does he do it? How is he doing this? And then Haley says, well, it's a bunch of lights and smoke and mirrors. And that's when Annie hears Swami's voice in her head that it's the looking glass. And then she realizes it's the mirrors and she runs Back to the fun house, and she gets her kind of moment to tell Haley to wait right here because previously she was pissed off that people kept treating her like a child and telling her to wait right here. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Wait, wait. Want to backtrack one second with the
1: whole thing with Haley. Like, okay, so Arby has the ability to change people's physical appearances. So he could have, like, I don't know, done some you know, Matrix part one shit and removed her mouth or something. I mean, like, I'm I'm sure Disney never would have done that, especially not in season three, but you know, he could have done something to restrain her in some way to prevent her from communicating with people to come rescue her. But he doesn't because he's a dumbass, I guess. He's not uh a very good villain. (laughs) Hold on.
4: Does he really have the power to change people's appearances or is it the mirror? I thought it was the mirror. mirror. But you think he would just sit her down in front of one of the mirrors and then be like, Right,
3: yeah. you're More than who's gonna sell cotton (laughs) candy. That's
1: true. Very important. And uh, what is it, is it Irene that we discover has a sugar
3: tooth? Yeah. Yeah, that's her kryptonite is cotton candy.
1: The climax of the episode is Annie going into the funhouse and confronting her own reflection, which, man, you know, how are we supposed to read that scene?
3: I kind of liked it when she's like, they'll be trapped in here for years. Like it was just kind of that Canadian, I don't know, like I get like the Canadian lingo, but it was just so funny when she's like, say goodbye Annie, say goodbye Annie. And then she's like, they'll be trapped in here for years. Like for years, you mean forever, right? Like, I, I mean, <laughs> it was just goofy to me. Is there anything
1: else we want to say about this one? I mean, have any other further thoughts into Carnival and or the deep, mysterious lore of the Alex Johnson fandom?
4: Well, I have a couple things. Okay, so first off, with with Annie's performance, uh, I think one of the other reasons why I resented it was because everything was so brightly colored on stage, and it was just, like, so anti, I don't know, everything that had come before in, like, the previous seasons. Like, even... Molly's drum set was a bright orange color this year for some reason, Um, Mm -hmm. but I did appreciate seeing Chuck back, and he was jamming hardcore to Annie's music. Yeah, and the drummer who—okay, did you all notice he was like really bad at uh, playing along to the music? Did you
3: notice the voiceover is really bad too? Like alex johnson's voiceover like there's a part where she's like ah! but like you could barely hear that part and so like she's kind of singing and then there's a lot of background voices or background vocals that like she doesn't quite sing on camera so yeah like the background vocals kind of fuck up the actual recording you know what i mean yeah. And the
1: whole thing with that sequence is somehow, like, within a, a, spe- a period of, like, two minutes, they managed to convince the guy who runs the carnival that, oh, yeah, is it cool if we go upstage with our whole band and perform the song that we've never performed before? Like, I mean, y- you know, like, I, I can't imagine it. that's like going into a bar and just saying, like, yeah, I'm going to go behind the counter and make some drinks for everybody. Is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: well, it was it- a talent
1: show.
4: Yeah.
3: Oh,
1: is it? Okay, I guess I missed that pivotal line of
4: dialogue there. Yeah, that's
3: like, at the beginning of the episode, um, Annie sees a sign, and Molly's like, oh my gosh, a talent show, like, you should do it. And that's when she has the whole, like, I don't think people will appreciate it, or I don't think people will like me, and then Molly's like, well, you have nothing to lose, type thing. Yeah, so it was a talent show going on. Okay,
1: well, they should have established that by showing some other people performing instead of just one person and And he immediately like gives her the top prize after like okay well i guess fuck everybody else who performed (laughs) in this like you know
3: (laughs) you won and the whole reason why jack and carrie the first people to change why they even went into the fun house is because rb walks up to them and says your friend won the talent contest here's some free tickets to the fun house And they're like, the fun house, we thought it was closed. And he's like, well, now it's open. Like, yeah, she totally won a talent contest.
1: Well, and that sounds like, you know, some real, uh, like, oh, yeah, it was closed, but it's open now. Come on, you know, nothing unusual (laughs) about this, guys. Come on, you know, just just go ahead. go on, come into my van. It's cool, you know. But what is with that scene where <laughs> Carrie's looking in the mirror and he's doing like this weird that's a that's a like that is the creepiest moment in the episode for me where it's just this yeah. close up on his distorted face making these gorilla noises. Like that was very strange.
3: Demon. I'm a demon, I'm a yeah. wild man. Yeah <laughs> and then Jack's like, oh, You're looking creepy. But then I remembered that Ned when he started looking in there, then it actually sucked him in and then spit him out. So I right. think the reason why Jack was like
0: "ah" uh,
3: was because like it sucked him in and it sucked him out.
1: Okay. So then he
3: was like a wild man.
1: I also like Ned eating a hot dog on a stick. That's a that's a highlight of the episode for me. That
3: he's just walking around with a hot dog on a stick. Okay. You know? <laughs> What's going on, Annie? Like got a corn dog. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. But I also like the end of the episode when Annie is in there about to break the mirrors. What actually causes her to break the mirrors is that Arby walks up and he's like, give up, little girl. They're happy here and you could be happy here. Nothing left to chance, no uncertainties. And when he says that, that's when Annie hears Molly's voice in her head. Don't be afraid to take a chance, Annie. Don't be afraid to go out there and give it all you've got. And that's when she decides to pick up the hammer and break the mirrors, was when he said there will be nothing left to chance. And Molly had previously told her not to be afraid to take a chance. So I really thought that was like a beautiful climax-y type moment.
2: Yeah, I actually really did love that moment.
1: You know, Jimmy, I really admire your ability to just look past all the cornball bullshit and find something meaningful in this episode
3: i was a child when this came out so like i could revert back to that mindset and also i still listen to this music like when i listen to alex johnson on shuffle i listen to literally every single decade or every era is what we call it in her fan base every alex era i listen to it on shuffle so this is still like reality for me i i love so weird so much and I I was watching in the first two seasons, but it didn't like become my favorite show until Alex Johnson came on. Although I love Cara Deleuze, don't get me wrong. And I was so <laughs> sad when she left. Uh, I was just as shocked as anyone else. But I took to Alex Johnson and um, I love this season. I don't know, I know it's cornball fest and Alex basically just kind of had to pick up the reins and run with it. Because this wasn't her show, you know, she got a lot of backlash for this show, but um, she did it and she had a semi-successful acting career from it. Um, her new movie actually just came out. If you guys didn't know, I meant to mention this like two podcasts ago, but she has a new movie out. Um, what's the movie called, Melissa?
2: And uh, the Wasting.
3: The Wasting. Um, yes. It's a ghost film. It's a new horror film and yeah that just was released and so she's still acting and she's been going on auditions and doing everything she can so i love alex johnson and yes i will look past the cornball to um (laughs) promote my alex johnson
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i highly recommend watching the wasting it is honestly better than i thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be kind of shit but uh yeah it surprised me
3: yeah it was so indie that we thought it was going to be kind of like a bad film because she like basically did a favor for her friend and she produced the film and she acted in the film as a a co you know a co-actor and um she did so well and the story is so good and it's actually creepy and she sings a couple songs in the film and it was really good i really enjoyed it as well
1: now i believe emily had a little more to say didn't you say you had something else to say
4: yeah well i guess okay so since we're giving alex so much love and i'll give annie some love there was a scene that or a little line that i thought was really sweet when Arby says that annie can go on tour with him and the carnival she says i'm already part of a tour that tour is my family i thought that was really sweet She was so sure of herself when she said it it wasn't like are these guys my family it was like yes they are my
3: family yeah Yeah. and molly has introduced her in the past as like my adoptive daughter and back in detention remember you know they are kind of like a family and i do feel bad that cara delizia left the show and i feel bad that you know the show went in a different direction but i do like that they kept that family aspect you know
4: yeah and okay one other thing is uh the same with annie at the end with the mirrors her mirror self uh (laughs) says like go away annie and give up i'm just trying to figure out what the mirrors actually do. was her reflection more like playing on her insecurities i think so
1: well, yeah, I mean, like I said, it sort of seems like it's going in that direction where the mirrors are trying to bring out something in the people who look into them, but it just, it's inconsistent.
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would What's agree like with
3: Annie as well. Like, could it be RB? Because RB all, already wanted her to be like the attraction, the vocal attraction, like to be a singer for the carnival. So clearly, it wasn't going to change her into anything. And also, behind the scenes, we as fans know that she has a panther protecting her. So it couldn't as as well like turn her into something with the panther protecting her. I would think, although they probably didn't think anything about that when they were writing the show. <laughs> but um, well, that's you know, what I, gotta... I would think is that she's protected
1: one thing this episode does have for it in my opinion is that it doesn't have like a bad magic panther deus Os machina ending so I will give it that much it doesn't have yeah. it to bust out the magic ghost panther to save the day and he actually solves her own problem for once yeah
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for once <laughs> she realized it's the mirrors let me go break this shit you see <laughs> right here I got this she told <laughs> Haley, stay right
0: here.
3: And then she went and she she saved the day. Go Annie.
1: <laughs> Are we ready for ratings or what?
3: I think so. Yeah. Okie dokie. I'm going to
1: give this one a four out of ten. I That's what I gave it when I rewatched it a couple of years ago when I was doing my series retrospective. That's about where I'd still put it. It's a nine. It's a I don't know, man. I just uh, not a super huge fan of this one.
4: I'll give it a single thumbs down. I don't know. I mean, I almost thought about giving it two thumbs down. But I do kind of like the scenes with Annie and Molly talking. And then um, I like the scene at the end with Annie in the mirrors. It's a little corny, but I don't know. It's fun, too. There you go. All right. (laughs) I don't really like anything else about this one. In summary.
2: (laughs) Uh, I think I will give it a six yeah six seems about right yeah it does have a few things going for it uh jack's weirdness annie's performance uh the nice little moments and between all the cheese
3: (laughs) (laughs) and i would probably give it like probably a seven out of ten just because we do get alex's first written song during this episode, which I love as an Alex Johnson fan <laughs> and being a fan of her career all these years, you know, this was the first co written song we ever got to hear. And then after this, um, you know, the rest of the songs did so weird. And then she also co wrote another song right after this or during this time called Sunshine Rains that we got a clip of on her official website during that time. I love it for that, that she did have a performance and it was so syndicated on Disney. I love singing it and I love dancing to it because I was that cornball gay teenager. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was. <laughs> and um, I liked the episode. I really liked the whole carnival aspect to it. I thought it was interesting. As far as the previous episodes are concerned, you know, there was a lot of episodes that were kind of neither here nor there. But this one was really kind of on point you know, there was a theme, it was the carnival theme, and with each character kind of taking on a new character, uh, you know, them being transformed, I liked that. And I also wanted to mention that, um, did you guys notice that the characters never remembered anything at the end, of course?
2: Uh Yeah, Yeah, I was like that in the first two seasons as well, so...
3: (laughs) There's very rarely any
1: ramifications for the actual weirdness that happens, but... (laughs)
3: Right. Annie's the only one that remembers anything. So seven out of 10. I think it's worth mentioning because we have already made it public that we were going to be interviewing Belinda Metz. We are still working on interviewing Belinda Metz. Um, It's just really difficult with all of our various work schedules. When we do record the podcast, it's usually on a whim. We usually decide it within that day or within a 24-hour period. So we're just Trying to work our schedules out with Belinda Met's schedule and still working on getting that interview out to the fans. So, thank you so much for waiting patiently, but we are still working on that.
1: Yeah, yeah well, hopefully we can get that together because it's always, always very exciting to have somebody who is actually involved with the show on the podcast. Uh-huh. And, you know, if we can get Belinda, that'd be great because then we have to track down the actors whose names uh, surely exist who played Carrie and Clue so we can have the entire Bell family interviewed on our podcast. I don't know.
4: (laughs) Well, we, we want everyone on at some point if possible. So
1: even Chuck, the guitarist, right. You know, if you were like a PA on one episode, we would, we will happily interview for this
4: podcast. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) If you worked
3: in wardrobe, we want to talk to you.
1: Now, something (laughs) that was brought up in the, Twitter chat that our fans do not have access to, of course, but um, was uh, they did an oral history of the Mary, Kate, and Ashley, uh, give me pizza song. <laughs> and in no place in this interview is Kara interviewed. You know, when I saw this was happening, when this crossed my desk, as I like to say, because I makes it sound like I like have an official position somewhere, even though I don't, um, you know, it, but it, I first read this. Uh, the first thing I did was control F Kara, and it didn't come up. And like, I'm not gonna read this because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's like the most famous. Like, she's in the YouTube thumbnail for that stupid thing, and you know all the all the memeing and twittering and mutation and fan stuff with that stupid song over the years. I, I mean, I guess it really just goes to show that she is truly out of out of contact with Hollywood, and just not interested in talking to anybody about her at work as an actress. Because, like, I mean, I thought for sure they would have gotten at least gotten like one. Word out of her about that.
4: Mm. No, she probably resents it. I mean, well,
1: I mean, I don't know. Like,
4: more people recognize her from that, and they do from so so weird. It mm-hmm. seems like.
1: I guess it depends. You know, I mean, I could see somebody resenting the fact that they're more famous for some stupid internet meme than their actual work as a performer. But at the same time, you know, being recognized at all would be cool for me. So
3: I don't know. <laughs>
4: I wasn't too surprised that she wasn't interviewed.
3: Yeah, and being like a childhood actor, like that was a lot of hard work, you know? She's been like working full time since she was a child, so clearly she's just over it.
1: Yeah, I I mean, we've talked about it a lot, how she's just kind of, I I mean, it really does truly seem like that chapter of her life is just done, and you know, good for her, But. I was disappointed that they didn't get her, didn't interview her for the, the oral history on the Mary Kate and Ashley Olson, give me pizza video, which I just love. That's a thing that exists by the way. I mean, thank God bless the internet. This has been the so weird podcast. I'm Zach.
4: I'm Emily. I'm Melissa.
1: And I'm Jimmy. Thank you for listening. And as always, keep the faith.
4: Bye.